Hello and welcome to Africa's LSP podcast, your monthly podcast for the language service provision industry in Africa. My name is Adina Maran. I will be your host for the podcast. This is a podcast where we cover trends in translation, interpretation, localization, and the language industry in general. We are going to speak with industry professionals such as translators, interpreters, knowledge management specialists. We want this podcast to be a platform where we can discuss issues about the industry, where we can be able to share information, share knowledge, and be able to understand what really pertains in the language service industry on the continent. Africa's LSP podcast is presented by Bolingo Communications and Media Consult. For the first episode of the podcast, we will speak with two guests, Ren Afaka and Francis Eke Meteho. Ren Afaka is in the second year for a Master of Arts degree in Conference Interpreting with the Pan-African University Translation, Interpreting and Intercultural Programs, Powertrain, hosted by the Advanced School of Translators and Interpreters in Boya, Cameroon. Francis Eke Meteho is in the second year at the Pan-African Masters Consortium on Interpretation and Translation, PAMSIT, hosted by the University of Ghana, Legon. Thank you very much, Francis A.K. Meteho and Ren Afaka for joining us for the very first episode of Africa's LSP podcast. My name is Adi Namaran and I am your host for the podcast. So this podcast covers trends in translation, interpretation, localization, language technology. We also aim to share information about the LSP industry with organizations, businesses and individuals and also to create greater engagement among LSP providers in Africa. All right, so um, Ren, can you introduce yourself briefly and um, tell us your academic background? Oh, okay. Well, thank you once again for this wonderful opportunity. Um, as you mentioned earlier, my name is Ren Afaka. I'm from Cameroon. I am I'm 24 years old and well, there is no wonderful thing to say about my academic background. I have the, the usual stuff. I have a bachelor degree in um, trilingual letters from the University of Chang, English, French, Spanish, with an option in Spanish linguistics. And I also have, um, well, not yet yet, but I studied translation in ASTI for two years. And now I'm currently a student interpreter at the Pan-African University. Fantastic. Can you tell us about your, your favorite dish? Your favorite dish. I have lived in Cameroon for two years and when I was there, my favorite dish was indole with ripe plantain. Um, oh, indole. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Since yeah. um, I'm from the center region, I think my favorite dish is okok. Well, it's written okay, okay, just like mm-hmm. Peru, but we add, well, palm oil, uh, groundnut, something that you will never find in Eru. So the leaves are still the same, and you can eat it with whatever you fancy, but not bread, of course, just the usual stuff, cassava. 
kuku yam, whatever, plantain. Yeah. All right. Sounds um, great. I'm not sure if I tasted that, but I'll think about it next time I, I go to Cameroon. Yeah. Um, Francis, can you also introduce yourself um, and then tell us about your academic background? Okay. Fantastic. Uh, just like the Ren said, thank you very much, Adi. Thank you as well to Bolingo Consult for this opportunity. I must say that I think it's something that is very important to do because we need such platforms to create discourse around the LSP in the region. Uh, my name is Francis A.K. Metoho, as mentioned before. I am a Nigerian. I'm a Nigerian born in Nigeria. Spent most of my childhood years in the Republic of Benin. After which I left I went back to Nigeria, uh, where I got a BSc degree in Sociology University of Lagos. After that, I also did some training in IT, web design, graphic design. And then I moved on to get another BSc in translation in Benin from the Debre mm -hmm. North American University. And I think that was part of the first introduction into the language service industry um, for me, although I had already uh, known people in the industry and I was quite conversant with what was going on around. Uh, after which I then moved on to enroll in the master's and in conference interpretation program at the University of Ghana, Ligon which is a program under the Pan-African Master's Consortium for Interpretation and Translation, a program run in about five countries in Africa and which is jointly operated and funded by the United Nations and the European Union. All right, that's, that's great. So um, based on your experience with your training, what, what can you say about what it takes to be an interpreter? Is it something that has to be innate? Like, does somebody, should someone have the talent or is it something that can be developed? Um, Francis, if you can respond to that. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Adi, for the question. And, well, I think there, there, there are two possible answers to that question. Uh, one might be more objective and the other one might be subjective. I say that because on the one hand, some people believe that you can make an interpreter, which is quite possible. Uh, on the other hand, there are some who believe that, yes, interpreters can be made, but great interpreters are actually born with it, right? And then they are forged into great interpreters. And so if I'm to speak about my personal opinion, I would say that you can be a good interpreter, a good interpreter if you properly train, because interpretation a common misconception outside there is that interpretation is being able to understand one language and another language, and then you can speak the two, which is a common mis misconception. But interpreting is more about understanding. 
So interpreters are not masters at language, but they are masters at understanding. They are able to properly analyze, dissect the message and understand its true mm -hmm. meaning. And also yeah. then be able to communicate it to whoever is speaking. And that person must, whoever's listening rather, that person mm -hmm. must be able to understand them at one go. They shouldn't have to repeat themselves which means that they have understood the meaning and they have broken it down to its simplest form in order to communicate it. And that, for me, I believe takes talent. Um, I think that it's something that you have to be passionate about because on the outside, it looks like it's something that can be done quite easily. But on the inside, it does take a lot of work, mm. a lot of work that was, uh, it, it might it's not just be like... so do. It's just like people who are bilingual believing that they can be interpreters, I mean, without any Exactly, exactly. Just being bilingual is not enough to make you an, inter an interpreter. It takes uh, a whole lot of training. Training, it's like, it's like a sport. It's like a sport. Uh, some of the very good footballers in the world are trained, but then Messi, who is the greatest of them all, probably does not train as much. That's just an example. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the fact remains that yes if you work hard and if you train hard you will be a good interpreter but some of the greatest interpreters that I have had the privilege to meet I believe that it's in it it's inside mm. of them and so uh, yes working hard involves a lot of reading right a lot of reading um, exposing yourself to a lot of information and being able to not just hear the information, but actually understand the information. And then also working on your language competencies, right? And yeah. uh, what they call general knowledge in French, culture générale, which is very, mm -hmm. very, very important. All of these things um, added to your listening capacity, your active listening, your, your own a language, which also needs to be top-notch. Your ability to calm down under pressure such that whoever is listening to you does not actually feel that you are on the hot seat. Even though where you're actually sitting down, the seat is literally burning, you know, your, your pants. It's something that it can be worked on, right? In conclusion, it okay. can be worked on and it can, you know, you can really be a very good interpreter if you work really hard because ultimately some of the best are mostly born with it so in effect you're saying that it's a blend of passion talent and practice absolutely yeah Ren, what do you think about this particular issue well you know it's very it's always very difficult to speak after Francis, he has the ability to, to say the things the way we, we wish we could say them. As far as I'm concerned, and may surprise our listeners, but I, I believe that interpreters are made. They're not born. I take my, my personal example. I just don't want to jump the gun, but I didn't choose interpretation because I, w I had the abilities to do it. It was just kind of um well not a really a mistake yeah but people just asked me to do it like this and I was looking for something that I could do but during the training I noticed that 
I like the abilities, but I I was there, so I had to do mm-hmm. something. So mm-hmm. I started learning how to become an interpreter. And most of the time, the greatest footballers, in my opinion, are those who, yes, are talented, but still work. I think the case of, uh, I always take the example of Cristiano Ronaldo, because when you compare Ronaldo and Messi, they are day and night. Like Messi, Messi was born to play football, no matter what people may think. It is so apparent you can't even argue about it. But Absolutely. on the other hand, you have someone like Cristiano Ronaldo who, yeah, he was he was not bad at football, but he knew that if it didn't work well, I mean hard, he won't reach the level he is right now. Um, he's currently at today because it takes a lot of work. And I will even go as far as to say that it takes a lot of discipline to become an interpreter because unlike translation where you can spend one week without translating you won't really feel it you won't really feel the difference interpretation is not like that if you stop practicing for one two three days you'll feel it feel like you've lost something and it's just like um these artists who maybe uh, play the cello or the violin they always talk about it, the urge to practice, to practice, to practice, because they feel like if they don't practice, they can be the best when, in ter- when we talk of uh, the abilities. But if they don't work, if they don't practice, if they're not disciplined, they won't make it. The talent will be there, but they will feel that there's something missing. So in my opinion, if you really are determined to become an interpreter, if you're ready to be disciplined, if you're ready to respect a certain routine, mind you, you'll become one of the best interpreters. Just Mm -hmm. as simple as that. That's what I think. Yes. Um, Yeah, that's, that's really well said. Can you tell us a bit about what your daily interpreting practice looks like? What particular exercises do you do and how do you go about it? Um, well, it really depends. I, I do most of the time what you call deliberate practice. It's not based on a particular exercise per se. I usually take a test. I notice that I have issues, for instance, with the way I pronounce words in French or English. And then I decide that based on this particular issue, I want to solve I look for exercises. I work for one week, two weeks. It doesn't really matter. In in interpretation, you don't rush. You really make sure that you work as slowly as possible, but the deliberate practice must be there. So usually what I do is that I first of all take that first test. And I need the help of my classmates because sometimes you may think that your interpretation is so well, whether it's consecutive mm-hmm. or simultaneous. But now they will tell you that, oh, your voice is so low or you are not loud enough or you, you don't articulate, right? Yeah. And sometimes they will say, okay, your vocabulary is not very good. So maybe you should work on it. So I take it step by step. I do mostly interpreting, uh, consecutive interpreting 
and simultaneous interpreting early in the morning. And I really advise people to do that deliberate practice. They shouldn't just sit and say, okay, today I will interpret for 10 minutes or tomorrow I will interpret for 15 minutes without actually breaking down your tasks. Because this, is, this can be a goal to interpret for 15 minutes. But what next? Once you're done interpreting for 15 minutes, you have to assess the results. And it's when you notice that, okay, yes, today I was able to interpret for 15 minutes, but what now about the content? And you have to practice. The first thing you have to write is your main objective. Regardless of the other things you have to work on, you have to focus on something in particular. So when you do your shadowing, whether, whether you do your shadowing, whether you, you side translate, whether you, you're into... You, you are going to do your simultaneous and consecutive interpreting, always have that goal. It, it's going to really help you. And at the end of the day, you feel that you've been able to achieve something. But don't forget to reward yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself when you practice and be patient. Because you will practice something for one month, feel like you've not, you've not done anything extraordinary and yet if you you learn how to reward yourself it's going to be great so my practice really changed based on my objectives and based on what my classmates tell me because most of the time it's very good when you work with people who can assess you okay um i think so far we've been using a lot of jargons like size translation shadowing simultaneous um, interpretation consecutive this podcast is also open to people who use language services. So can you please try to explain briefly each of these terms, what it means, and um, so that they can also understand. Francis, okay. if you're willing, can you take us? Okay, no problem. I will start um, with simultaneous interpretation. Simultaneous interpretation is... Uh, that is, is the art of taking the language from the source language into the target language orally at the same time that the speaker is speaking. That is, I think you're still using jargons when you say source and target. If you can still break it down, because <laughs> not everybody will know what, okay. <laughs> what it means. Okay. Um, now, by source language, I mean the language that the speaker is speaking. It could be English, for example. The speaker might be an Anglophone speaker who is speaking English. Mm -hmm. And so that is your source language. And your listeners, the people who are listening to you, the interpreter, they are listening to your target language. And if they are Francophone, then your target language is French, which is the language that you are speaking in the booth. And so when you are interpreting simultaneously, what you are doing is taking the message from the original speaker and then you are giving it to the listeners immediately. That is just as mm. the word says, simultaneously. You only have a matter of seconds to decide and then to, of course, render the message to your listeners. On the other hand, you have consecutive interpretation. 
this consecutive interpretation is probably the most popular type, if I may say so. Because in consecutive interpreting, the interpreter listens to the speaker for a certain you know period of time, usually between five to yeah. seven minutes. Sometimes it can go as long as 10. Sometimes even shorter, three minutes, depending on the arrangement between the interpreter and the speaker. And then after the speaker is done giving a certain portion of the information, he pauses and then he waits for the interpreter to convey the message to the people listening to the other language. Right? So this, okay. this is the type of yeah. interpretation that you mostly see in places like churches. For example, in churches, they do a lot of yeah. um, consecutive interpreting. Consecutive interpreting is also used in the medical setting, where there's a patient who maybe speaks Spanish, and then the doctor speaks English. So they bring in an interpreter, and the interpreter helps them to yeah. communicate. He does this in consecutive. Also, in the business environment or in bilateral meetings between two uh, dignitaries. It could be two heads of state, it could be two business CEOs, and so on and so forth. So this is usually the type of interpreting that most people see. Whereas simultaneous interpreting is when um, is usually used in conference settings. That is, there are delegates there and they usually put on a headset because, of course, to do simultaneous, you need specialized equipment that's made for simultaneous interpreting, usually called SIE equipment, okay. that's simultaneous interpretation equipment. Mm. And the interpreters are lodged in the booth, usually somewhere in the back or up somewhere, and they can see the entire thing going on, and they can listen to the speaker, and then the, their listeners can also listen to them with the aid of headsets that have been provided to them. If you attend international conferences, okay. you see most of these. Then sight translation is uh, mainly transforming a written message, usually a text, into a spoken message. That is, the message is written in one language. It could be English, it could be French. And then you take it and you're reading it, but you're reading it into another language, which is the target language. This usually helps when language, there's a yeah. document to be read and maybe the people who want to read the document do not understand the language of the document, so they need you to read it quickly. What other terminology do you use? Shadowing. Right? The last one, shadowing. Yeah, shadowing is, uh, in interpreting, involves... Um, this is a technique, basically, that people use to learn, right? It's an advanced language learning technique and also a technique to practice on your interpretation delivery, whereby the speaker is listening to someone speaking. It could be a, recordio, a recording, rather. It could be a video as well. They're listening and then they are repeating what the speaker is saying silently. It could be silently, or if they are in a quiet environment, yes, they can raise their voice, but they are repeating everything that the person is saying at the person's pace. This helps them to improve their articulation, diction, pronunciation, especially if you are learning a language that is not your mother tongue. Yes. 
I hope I've been able to touch on most of those terminology. Perfectly. I mean, you've done a great job. And so can you tell us about your own practice schedule? How does it look like? Okay. <laughs> uh, much like Ren said, it's a step-by-step process. Uh, she mentioned going, being patient with yourself, taking things one step at a time, uh, and also learning to reward yourself. This is important because, well, you, if you know how riding a bicycle, right? learning to ride a bicycle is a step-by-step process, right? That's usually the example people mm-hmm. use when you're learning something. This is this oftentimes is much harder than learning to ride a bicycle. It's like learning to play musical instrument. And it's, it's an ever-learning process. One day, if you if you play the piano or, or the guitar, one day you've learned one note, one chord. The next day, you have to practice it. And then you have to keep practicing that particular chord for a long period of time before you then move on to another one. But the implication is when you move on to another one, if you're not careful, you might lose what you already learned before. So um, for me, I make it part of my my life, so to speak, um, you, you, interpretation can make you look like a mad person, all right? Uh, <laughs> you find yourself in situations where you're walking on the road and you're talking to yourself. Uh, why? Because you're probably hearing something and you're just shadowing while walking on the road. Um, of course, you have to have um, practice schedule, particularly for consecutive and simultaneous interpreting those two you need to have practice schedule where you work on speeches and you actually do the consecutive interpreting ideal an ideal situation for that would be with your pairs where they can evaluate you when you're done and give you and give you feedback exactly so you learn together that's one but then for the other things like your language competencies your public speaking because public speaking is very important public speaking your articulation your diction your shadowing your pace and also your voice your voice modulation and so on and so forth those things have to become a part of you those are things that you have to just be doing instinctively right you walk and you talk you you are watching tv you see something and immediately you try to see if you can you know understand it properly you listen to someone on the news and search Mm -hmm. you see a word you also try and search then last thing i would want to add here is um when one is learning the language we always have to pick up vocabulary because as interpreters we are expected to have a high um, vocabulary level so we pick up vocabulary and in picking up vocabulary oftentimes when you hear a word in one language you try to find the meaning in another language right and so a lot of times i see that what is being done is people take the word in that language and then they just try to translate it Oftentimes, translating it with translation tools that we have, like Lenge, you know, some use Google Deeple, mm. and so on and so forth, to find the meaning. While that is very, very useful, very useful, and it's important to do that, it's also important to actually um, pick up vocabulary by meaning. And so you get the word yeah. in one language and then you try and understand the meaning mm-hmm. in that language. When you understand the meaning and the concept yeah. of that word, then you then find the equivalent of that meaning 
not just the word, but of that meaning in your target yeah. language. This helps you to do what we call deverbalization. Uh, taking yourself away from the you know semantic constructs of the word itself, so you don't just stick to because there are a lot of words that are very similar in both French and English and Portuguese mm -hmm. and so on that oftentimes you think they have the same meaning, but they do not exactly have the same meaning. There are little nuances, so it's important to search for vocabulary by meaning and not just by words. These are some of the things I do. Yes. Mm. And I totally relate with you uh, concerning the, la the last point about the vocabulary. Uh, because initially, when I was a, a student interpreter back in the days, what I would do is I would, uh, like you say, I would always try to find uh, the translation of a word. And after doing that for some time, I realized that the words never, you know, stayed in my mind. I never could remember, you know, sometimes. So what I did was to actually do what you're, what you're talking about, to actually separate my, my, my language learning. So if I'm learning a word in French, then it's purely French. Exactly. And, you know, I'm learning them separately to make sure that I understand. And that way, it, it made it easy for me to remember. Um, yeah, and it's something I always always keep in mind. So it's a very good point that you raised. Thanks. Let's not talk about your, your training. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about the pros and cons of your training? What are the good aspects and what are the, some of the things that you think could be improved or changed? Oh, well, mm very difficult question huh? because what I can find easy or as a pro could be a con for someone else come on someone else sorry well mm -hmm. the first the first advantage of this training at least in the Pan-African University is the fact that you meet a lot of people for someone like me who never really traveled like I never left Cameroon to go elsewhere this is a great opportunity to at least meet people who think differently. People who come from Ghana, Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire, Lesotho. Yes, people from Botswana. Mm. Yes, okay. you work with them and you learn a lot from them. You learn how to accept the differences. And this is really important for interpreters because... We, we, we are not like translators per se. It's true that translators will tell you that they work with the colleagues, but this is not really side by side. Whereas as an interpreter, you, you share the booth with someone. Most of the time you work as a team, like you have your booth mate. And from the beginning, right from the beginning, our, one of our lecturers told us that we, need, we needed to have a booth mate, someone we could easily work with just to get used to the feeling of having to ask someone to help us and also to get used to helping people like giving them a hand when they're struggling and sometimes it's, it's just about to, to to learn how to trust people right and it's something that I really really like about this training because sometimes you 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 feel like you cannot do it but just because you're working with someone they actually in silently encourage you. This is the biggest proof. Yes, the fact that you meet other people and you learn how to work as a team. Now, another pro is the fact that this is a program that requires lots of practice, but also lots of knowledge. And you never stop learning. You learn on a daily basis. It may sound a bit frightening, 
but it's also exciting because once you you've decided that you want to learn like every single day your curiosity will become your best asset because you never know as an interpreter where you're going to land and it's also a way to to be to be really open minded because if you decide to to just do linguistics it's not bad eh? actually it's not bad but when you become an interpreter you open your mind like literally there are so many things mm. you're going to come across so many worlds you're going to discover and just like when you're interpreting and the speaker is saying something that maybe you don't really agree with that you have to you know use exactly. your voice to relay the information exactly right? yeah. yes i think that's what 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 i like about this training because most of the time we have debates for public speaking skills when we want to develop our public speaking skills and these debates are really friendly right and they are very healthy because we learn like you rightly mentioned to to say things that we don't mm. agree with but in a natural and let's say healthy manner we're not yeah. aggressive yeah. we don't want to force our will onto people we really learn how to be open minded it's so important when you are an interpreter this is something i very much like about this training the fact that they, they we learn how to debunk our biases we we learn how to be active open resilient as well because the work is very difficult it's tough we question everything from from day 1 to to the last day you you will notice that you've changed your opinions so i think this is something i really love about interpretation now there are cons as you you mentioned it's it's so difficult sometimes sometimes you just feel like giving up because you're fed up and also the workload is heavy like you can't imagine what you have to learn especially when you talk to your to your lecturers and they have tentative names for a single expression and you are like oh my god am i going to make it and the pressure this is also a con a big con if you are not yeah. good at coping with pressure if you don't know how to channel your nerves well you have to work on it first so what i like about mm-hmm. the training like i said i like the fact that you can meet people it's interactive you're open minded you learn how to work in a team as a teammate but the pressure the workload the discipline they are challenging there are more challenges than cons actually but you have to take them into consideration francis you feel the same okay. about the training uh, i think Ren really touched on a lot of things and um like she said the, that her last sentence I think is very important there are more of challenges than cons and um I have not dwelled much on the challenges uh, so I'll rather start with the challenges and hopefully you know lighten the mood up with some of the pros the good news I think interpreting training one of the main challenges is that it forces you to confront yourself um you 
you have to learn about yourself. Um, you have to see the truth about yourself and you have to be willing to face it, face that truth so that you can scale, which is not an easy task, I can assure you. And if you are not careful, you will break down because it's a really challenging training. Like, like Ren said, she, she said it perfectly. Sometimes you feel like your best is just not good enough. And if your best is not good enough, you might find yourself asking yourself, so what more can I give? Maybe this is not for me. Maybe I need to find something else. This is not my destiny. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not what I'm supposed to do. That is why you do have indeed some people crying sometimes. But these are all just challenges that when you scale them, they will be very useful in the real world while practicing. Um, I think another challenge in this, our region, is distance and cost. This is a challenge because uh, I'm sure you, you are all aware that we do not have a lot of interpretation training schools in Africa. Do you know how many we I, have? I cannot on the put a, a, a finger on it. I think it's, uh, I know we have one in Ghana, which is where I am, right? Which is the Palm State. Uh, Palm State Network yeah. of Schools are, um, I think, about five in number, right? And the Palm State Schools are Legon, yeah. of course. And then you have the one in. Universidade Pedagogica de Mozambique, which is in Mozambique. Then you have one in, if I'm correct, I think in Addis. In Addis. And um, then you have, uh, under the Palm City Network, let me just, read. you have one in Kenya at the University of Nairobi. And then you have um, one in Senegal at the Université Gaston Berger. And then the last one is the one in Cameroon, where um, Ren also went to, which is ASTI, right? The Advanced School of Translators and Interpreters. In Africa, under the Palm Seat, that is what we have. Now, outside of the Palm Seat, we do have the POW train under the African Union. And it's financed as well by the African Union. Most of these schools that exist now are new, right? I don't think there's anyone that is up to 10 years old yet. Mm -hmm. I, I really doubt. Um, so if you want to get training, you are limited. If you are in this region, you are limited because your options are either just this five, this six I mentioned, or you have to travel out to France, mm -hmm. right? I know there, there are lots of schools in France for interpreting. There's the one in Geneva. There's in Belgium. Uh, in the US, there is one. In the UK, there is, uh, well, there, there are about two, three in the UK. And in Canada, about two, three as well. All, all over, all over the world. And a challenge is, of course, cost, yeah. traveling, visa requirements, and, you know, those challenges that you face. Um, whereas tr within the region, for example, someone like me who lives in Nigeria or sometimes in 
Cotonou, Republic of Benin, you find yourself having to travel to relocate for the school and it could be quite expensive uh, as you also then have to pay the, the fees as a foreign student, which uh, is also high. So the cost of the training is usually is usually mm -hmm. high. And um, sometimes when the study is not subsidized, it can be quite discouraging for some. Right. So that's um, these are these are these are some of the mm -hmm. challenges that yeah. we have uh, with the schools and with interpretation training generally in the region. Now, uh, moving on to the pros, where do I start from? First of all, you, it makes you an actual interpreter. Why do I say this? You find a lot of people going to interpretation training, uh, people who have had a taste of interpreting uh, in what we call the gray market. And if you are not careful there, you would pick up some very bad ethics very bad ethics that would not allow you to advance, to truly advance in, in your career. One is your meeting preparation, right? You not meet preparation, booth manners, yeah. understanding of the interpretation that mm. you are about to do in itself, your interaction with potential clients, mm. right? Your interaction with the interpreting communi community in itself, that is because as part of the interpreting community, you have the translators, the uh, right. equipment technicians, and other interpreters, and other language service providers. So there are lots of bad things that you might pick up, which are not good for the profession and for your career. So going to the interpretation school exposes you to what is right the right way to do things. And this is one of the things that I think uh, are fantastic about the training. Mm. Another thing is that you are, when you go for the training, you more or less um, are already meeting your, your colleagues. You've already met your, your future colleagues. For some, you've already met your, your, your spouse, so to speak. <laughs> but um, because the network of mm -hmm. interpreters um, outside of the gray market, right? It is so small. Mm. Um, I say small because compared to other professions like law, medicine, and so on and so forth, interpreters you know, are not a lot. So you are exposed to the right yeah. network already. Network from your teachers yeah. who are oftentimes very friendly people because of course they understand what it's like to be on the market because they are on the market. I think most it's not all interpreting schools require that you know the trainers are also practicing interpreters most if not all so they understand they're friendly they guide you you get very very premium guidance which you you would you may not have gotten if you were not on the program you get very good mentorship and you yeah you do get exposed to a very very interesting network uh, of people all over, all over the continent and all over the world. You know, from the training, I have gotten to meet people in the EU, right? In the EU, DJ interpretation, we have worked together, practiced together, gotten to meet people from Cameroon, Ethiopia, Mozambique, Belgium. Even there was, there was, there was a guy from Uganda that, that, that I got to meet. People from all over the world. And so it gives you 
a proper reflection of what the practice field will be. And also, you are getting to understand diversity, which is very, very, very key. Because as interpreters, of course, we work in multicultural environments. So learning about, learning about different cultures, understanding how diverse the world is, understanding different worldviews, perception, life views, and being able to come to terms with all of these things is quite important um, if one wants to be an interpreter. Of course, there are all the academic pros, like Ren mentioned, your training, your practice, what it does to you, all of those things, your general knowledge. These are things that, of course, are pros to the training. And um, oftentimes, if you do finish the training well, um, from what I'm told, you 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 are you'll be well exposed, and you know you you you'd go far. So um, after all this, you know, we spoke about the challenges, you know, going through this daily practice, learning, sometimes crying, shedding tears and all that. What do you envision for post-training? What do you intend to do after your training? Okay. Hmm. Uh, Ren, do you want to take that first? Or Good do question. I no. Please <laughs> take it first. Let me okay, think. No problem. Good. <laughs> The, the training, earlier when I was speaking, I did say that it's, an, it's a never-ending learning process, right? So when you are done with the training in the interpretation school, what that does to you is it now makes you certified, right? You get the certificate, your diploma, your degree, and you're certified. You've gone through the training, you're now a certified interpreter. But you're not done learning as an interpreter. And so, of course, um, I intend to keep learning, <laughs> keep learning, keep practicing. Um, if possible, also get involved with interpretation training, right? Because you need to pass on knowledge to others um, who will be coming after you. I intend to do that. And then, um, of course, I intend to practice in the field. Um, there are two options, either practicing freelance or practicing as a staff interpreter. Opportunities for staff interpreters are quite, um, uh, do I say low or not as frequent? You know, you don't always have a lot of openings, but of course, yeah. um, I think practicing as a freelance interpreter actually makes you love the profession even more and exposes you to a whole lot of things because um you know they say an interpreter is the uh, jack of all trades master of all which is not actually the same because they say you should be jack of all master of none <laughs> right but as an interpreter you don't have to be just master, jack of all master of one or master of two but you actually have to know all of these things right um Today I was I was speaking to an older exactly. colleague who was you know yeah. telling me about a colleague is another senior colleague who was representing the director of finance of his institution at a particular meeting and he was the one presenting the institutional budget and defending it. This man is an interpreter, and so you see, um, yeah, when you work as a freelance, I believe that you will get exposed to a whole lot of topics very broad range it will increase your range 
Um, of course, there are institutions where mm. if you work there, of course, you also be exposed to a lot of topics. But the good thing about um, freelance interpreting, I think, is you get to meet things that you never expected. You know, a good example, I was talking to a freelance interpreter who, he's a Muslim, a very, very um, staunch Muslim. I respect him for that. And he was called for a meeting. Uh, they were briefed on what it was about, obviously. But then on getting to the meeting, they found out that the meeting is mm-hmm. being uh, organized by different groups who have to speak to different things. And one of the major groups there were the LGBT group, right? Lesbian, gay, and trans, transgender, and or transsexual, and bisexual, LGBT, yeah. And so if you're someone who is not, you know, open-minded enough to be willing to listen to these things, because they were not just talking about, you know, lesbian rights or gay rights, LGBT rights. They were actually, actually talking about sexual and reproductive health. And so you have to be willing to listen mm. to these things. And my, my conversation with him revealed that, man, he, for him, he had a really, really tough time. <laughs> but being an interpreter, at that point, he was yeah. forced to separate his values as an individual from him and his professional and you know, career values. And so basically at that point, you are no longer, uh, you know, let's say Francis, you're no longer Francis, but then you step out of the shoes of Francis and then step into the shoes of whoever is speaking. You become the speaker's alter ego, which is, it's a very interesting thing. And that's, that is one of the things I find most uh, intriguing about freelance interpreting, which is why I think I, I, I'm, I would love to practice as a freelance interpreter for, for quite some time. Um, before considering staff interpretation so yes i think that that's it that's going to be it for me for what i intend to do after the training okay and you can go ahead oh all right well I I think I I still need I, I still need some time, but let me just let me just be frank. Right now, I think I'll just now step into another world that is the professional world, but not really professional, right? Because what we learn in two years cannot possibly help us to achieve our long-term goals. So we need more practice because it is true that we spend one month, I mean, as far as Pan-African students are concerned, we spend one month in the National Assembly of Cameroon for the practicum aspect of this training. But it is very important to go to the field and see what's going on there. One of our lecturers used to say that your training is divided into two different worlds. What you learn at school and what you learn on the field. And it is true, you need, you need, um, you need some time, but you also need a mentor. You need to find your way there. So 
an internship sounds as a good plan for me. So I'm actively looking for an internship, whether it's in an institution such as the National Assembly or the Senate or maybe the United Nations Commission, Economic Commission for, for Africa. Well, this is what I want to do as a short-term objective. Like, this is my short-term goal. Yes, I'm looking for internships. Why not for one, two years? And then after that, I think I'll be fully equipped. Or let's say, I hope so. I hope I'll be fully equipped yeah. to now go for what I, I think it will suit me better. That is working as a, a staff interpreter for maybe five years five years mm. or so. I totally agree with Francis. I'm not the the kind of person who like to work for a single institution for the rest of my life. Yes, it has its advantages. For instance, you know that from January to February, you have to do this and that. And after that, well, you're free. But, well, let's just say that this is not what I I would like to do for the rest of my life. I would like to to be able to yeah let's see let's see let's be honest to travel because when you're a staff interpreter, it's true you can travel but not like a freelance interpreter. Mm. You travel a lot today. But you are, want to travel and see the world and know that exactly right? yes that is that is one of the main reasons people want to become interpreters and eh? they say it's because you got to, to travel a lot so they like that aspect of the profession. So yeah. today you can be in Boya, tomorrow you are in Limbe, the next day you are in Nairobi. And you get to, to meet people as well. This is also very important because if you stay the rest of your life in one place, even if you read books about well, what's going on in Japan, there is a, a Mongolian saying, who, I mean, I, I don't really remember what it said, with the, 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 the exact words, but they say what you can see in your, in your eyes, with your eyes, sorry, is worth more than what people tell you yeah, about absolutely. what that thing looks like. So what you see speaks volume, yeah. yes, more than what you hear. So you have to touch them with your, your own fingers. You have to feel it. So it's very important to 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 travel. Let's say let's let's travel. Let's be let's be open. Let's be free. And it's true that right now, when you say let's travel, they will think about the coronavirus outbreak. But let's hope that after we'll be able to get back to not really get back to the new normal or the normal, the old normal. But let's, let's hope that we'll still have the, the opportunity to travel and meet other people because that's also part of the, the beauty of this profession. The fact that you can meet different people each time you cover a conference, each time you escort people. So that's what I really like about this profession, just like any others nowadays. You can become a staff interpreter. So this is my first objective, my short term. But... At the end of the day, I think uh, I'll find a way to become a freelance interpreter. And if you want to become a freelance interpreter, you have to know a lot of people. Of course, your mark the market is it's vast, and we are not many interpreters. And we 
often forget about those who work in the gray market, those who are not trained interpreters. They are not really bad interpreters and because some people say that they are bad interpreters. Some of them are very good. And the thing is that the charges are so low that they tend mm. to prefer them to trained interpreters. So based on those challenges, I think I will be better off if I start as a staff interpreter, I meet people, I get to know people, and then after that, I can become a, a, a freelance interpreter. Why not teaching? Well, I'm not sure I can really teach, teach, but well, <laughs> if you need me, well, I'll yeah. be available. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also into technologies. And if, if I can become a, an interpreter, well, I, I would like to at least try to, to be part of this, the, the community, the, the, the scientific community, those who develop software for interpreters. Mm. I think it's also very important because most of the time, especially in translation, IT experts, those who develop softwares for trans software for translators, complain about translators' attitude because they would like to work with translators to help them, you know, get better software. But translators are always criticizing them. So I believe if you you get a training a training as an interpreter or as a translator and now propose software design software for them, it's going to be even more effective than Mm. Those who do not know about the profession, it's also one of my options, especially because here in, in Cameroon, we, we, we don't have lots of knowledge about technologies, especially technologies related to interpretation. But I think yes. it's not only Cameroon, I think in Africa in general, I don't know if any African has developed technology for the LSP industry. You're right, but what we really need nowadays is to make sure that we produce more and more software by Africans, for Africans, and we can work with other people. But what we really need now is to, to stop saying that, oh, the machine cannot replace, a machine cannot replace a human being. It's impossible. If we keep thinking like that, one day we'll just lose our jobs. We'll be like, oh, no this is a curse or this is a, this is impossible we have to to need to to use state of the art technologies we need them because these are tools and if we don't develop these tools for ourselves we are just going to to lose so many opportunities and people always believe that if you are if you don't practice as an interpreter on the field it means that you've lost your time. No, it can be useful somewhere else. Yes. Mm, I agree with you. Yes. Also a good opportunity to tell people that if you cannot practice as an interpreter, well, there are so many things that you can do. As a language service provider, you don't only interpret or translate. There are so many things you can do. You just have to give it a go. You just have to be creative and I think one of my friends used to say that you create the demand. You don't wait for people to ask for your services. You create that demand because you always have clients. Now make sure that they want something that you can offer and you will see that your training will pay off.
one way or another. Wow, thank you very much, um, Ryan. I think we could go on and on. I mean, there's so much to talk about, um, you know, in, in this particular industry. And uh, as we are wrapping up, can you give us, um, can you talk briefly about your perception about the industry and your expectations? What do you expect? And maybe let's say five years from now, how do you see the industry or how do you want the industry to look like? Francis, do you want to okay, um, take this one? Just a quick one. My, how I see the industry and what I see the industry becoming in the five years. Right now, there's, um, there's a gap in the interpretation industry in Africa. I say so because most of the trained interpreters that we have are from the 50s, 60s generation, some 70s generation. And so they, they and most of them got their training outside of Africa, mm -hmm. France, Geneva, the US, and so on. Yeah. And I think at that time, things were probably cheaper. I, I wasn't there, so I can't exactly be sure. And also, I think there were less visa restrictions. So it was easier for people from that time to travel. And as things got harder, you, you, you'd, you'd notice that after a certain generation, there was a major gap in people that were getting trained and you know, being poured into the market. Gap in trained interpreters. That is, let me, let me, let me illustrate. You have, you'd see for you see trained interpreters you see most of them and you find out their age they're 50 60 some retired mm. right yeah all of the young you see are, are 40 and and 30 and those that are 30s are in their 30s and 40s you'll find out that most of them actually just got trained yeah recently those who have been trained for a very long time they are from the older generation and so for quite some time, Africa was not producing graduate trained interpreters. And so there was a gap left to be filled. And that gap was then filled by the gray market. That is why uh, in Nigeria, for example, or in most countries like I, like I know, you have, you have a very large gray market. And so now that we have training institutions, you know, from PAMSEED, Powtrain, ASTI, and so on, um, that have existed for over five years now. Within that short period of time, they have been able to produce a lot of trained interpreters that will be able to fill that gap, right, and at least improve the services, improve the quality, of interpreters and also the, the, the services we provide as language service providers in the African region. Um, because uh, if you interact with people from Europe or the US, they sometimes think that Africa does not have you know, very good interpreters. And so they say they have just very few of them. Mm. And you see some organizations 
considering bringing interpreters all the way from there when we actually do have interpreters here. Yeah. It's just that statistically, we have fewer good interpreters than they do. And um, whereas we have a larger black market than they do. So I believe that um, a couple years from now, with this training, we're going to have more trained interpreters and we're going to have a better you know, language service industry that is also properly regulated because we are, we are not as, as regulated. Um, we have individual uh, country associations. But I think it would be good if you know, we make some of these things so regional, which is what I hope that you know, in the coming years, the LSP providers in our region would be able to achieve, right, to create synergy between the providers in Western region, for example, with Southern region, you know, mm. there's a synergy. Uh, or, you know, even if it's not uh, per region, at least it's sub-regional, so we don't have to have each as one association in Togo, one yeah. in Ghana, one in Benin. You know, we have to, we just have one for the ECOWAS region, for example. That's a great idea. Uh, yeah. yeah, that would be very useful to help us to centralize, right? And mm -hmm. be able to control and understand the entire region, improve, to build the network, yeah. improve and create more opportunity for those who are willing to come in, mm. right? Because I know, for example, in Benin, in Ghana, I think it's more um, developed, the industry there. But in Benin, for example, for every, uh, for every 100 or 200 black market interpreters, you probably have only one. <laughs> uh, training yeah, there are very few and um, I think the, the training opportunities for them are quite limited or sometimes they just don't they just don't want it or they're not yeah. interested because they they are busy making the money so they feel it's enough they are already making the money exactly so they do not see how it's going to interest them so I think that if we have you know, a proper relationship mm -hmm. between Benin, for example, and Ghana or Togo, those from Ghana and, in, and Togo would be able to influence those in Benin. Mm. This is something that I think is, is possible. So I'm, I, I'm very, very um, hopeful for the future of the industry for the region, uh, especially now that we have this course, because there's some, some people, there are some people who actually want to get trained um, but they did not know that PAMSIT existed, for example, yeah. or that the PAL train existed. So they have been looking for avenues to go and get trained in France or in Belgium. And it is costly, not just costly, okay. but then visa restrictions, depending on the passport country that you have, it, it can be quite complicated. And so here now we have options, we have avenues, and every year students are graduating. If we keep it up for the next five, ten years, we're going to have, you know, an industry with more trained professionals who will then be able to fill that gap that was left since the 70s, 80s, where people, trained interpreters were not being produced. Yeah, thank you. I think that, that, that's it for me on the future yeah. of the industry. That's a very good analysis. I mean, you're, you're really right about the fact that in the industry, we have a lot of people. I mean, we usually call them elders. Um, and I mean, sometimes it's really difficult even for the youth to get mm -hmm. integrated in you know, these spaces. Because when, when you go there, there are people who are older than you, who know more. And, um, who are your fathers? Yes. Not just older. So sometimes it's even intimidating. I mean, you can, you can imagine working in the booth with one of those 
um, one of our elders. I mean, sometimes you really feel intimidated, but I think we should see them as mentors and really learn exactly. from them. Yes, and you learn exactly. from them, and then gradually we can be able to move the industry forward. Exactly. Ren, you have anything to add? Well, no, not not really. Yeah, I think Francis said it all. We just also want the market to be more educated because, as he said, the black market is very well developed just because people don't really know the value of what we're doing. And you cannot really blame them. Like Francis said, well, there are many interpreters, but compared to the market, compared to the demand, it's not very easy. And sometimes it's, some, it's a phenomenon that's really, really amazing in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. You go to a conference, you sign up as a translator, right? Yeah. You, you think maybe you're going to translate the document related to the conference. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they're like, this is where you're going to, to work. And they show you a booth. And you're like, what? Translator. <laughs> I don't do interpretation. They're like, well, they're synonyms. Well, we, we thought that it's the same thing. You just talk. You just have to talk. You're bilingual, right? So I think we really, I hope that we'll be able to educate the market because we may train people, but if they keep, you know, mixing up things, believing that a translator is an interpreter or an interpreter is a translator, we'll always end up you know, doing what we call debouillardise, uh, we'll always try to, to make the most out of what we have when we actually have professionals on the field who can do the job. It happens all the time. Sometimes you're an interpreter, you think you're going to try to interpret, and they give you documents. They're like, ah, we don't really know the difference, my friend. Just take these documents, go and translate them. What do you do? So you see, it's... Uh, it's really one thing I hope for that people will be able to interpreters as well. They will be able to educate the clients to make them understand that when they charge them a certain amount of money, it's not because they want to steal something from them. Actually, they are not crooks. They are professionals. You see, when you are a lawyer in Cameroon, people respect you. They fear you. But when you're an interpreter, the first thing they ask is, what is an interpreter? And when you say, you, you, I do this, I do that, so, so, and so, they are like, ah, it's very simple. I do that. I do that. My church, I'm an interpreter. Yes, you're an interpreter. But that training is an added value people tend to forget. And it's very difficult, especially in Cameroon. It's very difficult to compete with these people because when you see, let's, let's, let me just say something crazy, 100 key for a meeting. Someone else will come and say, I, have, I can take 10, 10 key. It's fine. I can, take, I can take 10 key. And they will rather hire that guy, that, um, that quark, instead of the real interpreter. And when they get you know, bad memories of that, that meeting, that encounter, they will never actually pay real interpreters again. It happens all the time. So let's just hope that interpreters, professionals, whoever is uh, concerned about what I'm saying will teach people 
the importance of interpreters. And it's only, it's also going to help us as Africans because our languages are also part of this profession. In the Pan-African University, they actually encourage students to learn to use the mother tongue to interpret, not just English, not just French. And it's going to be very productive, especially when there are crises, you know, when they need to, to help people in villages, people who speak Pidgin English, who speak Mopwe. Um, you see, interpreters are very important. And sometimes doctors cannot do it all because sometimes doctors can interpret. But if they can, if they could only contact interpreters who are there, I'm pretty sure that the work will be effective, will be more interesting. Well, just hope, I just hope that these things will just set, set themselves into, into the right places and we'll find a way to also include our mother tongues or let's say our African languages into the whole process of interpretation and translation, something that's really going to help the African community Absolutely. as a whole and the market will Absolutely. become I bigger agree. and bigger and I bigger. And, 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 and of course, um, if, if I may just add, just, just um, like she said, when, when, there's, uh, when a service is in demand, and it's in demand when people need those services, but they do not have enough people to provide those services or those who are available are always busy, which was the case with the older generation, had you know, most of the time busy with, with uh, some of the bigger organizations, some smaller organizations, they also need this service. But then if they are not available to, to provide these services, then that creates a gap. And if there's a gap, if there's a hole somewhere, you're going to have those who are willing to collect you know, 5,000 uh, CFR, of course, and, and do the job. And so they'll definitely fill that space. Of course, these are bad ethics. These are, this, this destroys the profession. But um, you also can't blame them entirely because, of course, they, they saw an opportunity and they took it. And so I do believe that... Um, we who are being trained right now, we have a major role to play in regularizing the industry together with the older generation who are our mentors, who have the experience that we do not have, have the knowledge that we do not have, and also have network that we do not have. And together, um, I think if we build a relationship with them, because I think it's also important to build a relationship with, the, with our mentors and the generation before us, Good relationship yeah. with them, we will be able to get proper guidance from them on you know how to forge ahead. And with the knowledge we get from them, we can then step it down to those who would come after us. And you know, one step at a time, one break at a time, we're going to build a, a proper regularized industry in Africa, or regulated industry in Africa, rather. Mm, fantastic. This has been such a very interesting episode and um, we've had very, very fruitful discussions about the industry and I, I think we could go on and on. There's so much to talk about and some of the things that have been raised here, we'll definitely note them down and keep them as topics for future episodes. This has been the first episode of Africa's LSP podcast and 
We're very grateful to Francis A.K. Meteho and Ren Afaka for accepting to be our guest and for giving us this understanding about their training and also talking about the language service provision industry in Africa. We'll keep in touch and then definitely would um, have them some other time again to expand more on some of these issues. Thank you very much, Francis and Ren. Thank you very much, Adi. Thank you.